You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Well, uh, the Happy Valley Bridge has been blown out or they've chiseled it down. And I know that was probably a challenge for many of you to get to church as it was for the first service. But I'm glad you are here. Uh, That just goes to show our community is growing. They're expanding the highways. They're expanding the homes and all that. So it's good to be together this morning. I like to start with something fun. Uh, The Bible says that laughter is good medicine for the soul. So... Um, I want to share with you a funny story I heard recently. Well, a few minutes before a, a church service started, Satan himself appeared. Everyone started screaming and running for the exits, uh, trampling over each other in a frantic effort to get away from the devil. And then soon after everyone had exited the church, there was this one elderly gentleman who sat calmly on the front row without moving a single muscle. He acted oblivious to the fact that God's number one enemy was just right there in front of him. Satan walked up to this old man and in a dark, eerie voice said, Don't you know who I am? And the man replied, Yep, sure do. Aren't you afraid of me? Nope, sure ain't. Don't you realize I could kill you with a word? Don't doubt it for a minute. Don't you know I could cause profound, horrifying, physical agony for all of eternity? Yep. Aren't you still not afraid? Nope. Well, why aren't you afraid of me? He, Satan, shouted. The man calmly replied. He said, well, I've been married to your sister for the last 48 years. (laughs) Today I want to teach you what it means to get along with people that are really difficult. Um... Do you know anybody that's difficult in your life that's hard to get along with? Would you raise your hand? Anybody difficult in your life? Now, don't point. Don't nudge. I just said raise your hand. Uh, You ever found it difficult to get along with a family member, a significant spouse, a significant other, a family member, a a sibling, a brother? Um, You know, the reality is is there can be seasons of life in the family where you just kind of fight a lot. And it can be a, a, a difficult cycle uh, for, for, for relationships. And uh, there's also, there's times at work, maybe anybody ever had a hard time at work, you know, where your employees are fighting and there's frustration and friction a lot. You know, recently there was a survey where there was 2,000 employers were asked for what reasons they fired employees. And two-thirds of those surveyed responded that the number one reason why they let employees go was because they could not get along. What I want to do today is I want to challenge you how to get along when it's tough, when it's not really that easy. Uh, you know, uh, the, the natural response is, is to cut off the relationship, to burn the bridge, to get a divorce, to quit, to get a job transfer, to pray for this person to get fired, or to, to try to just leave the situation if, if at all possible. Well, sometimes we may need to do those things, but oftentimes God calls us to try to restore, repat, repatch, Uh, renew that relationship, reconcile when at all possible. And so I want to challenge us as God's family, the church family, to learn how to get along despite our differences and despite the difficulties that we may have. So let me pray. 
Heavenly Father, I pray that today that we would take a look at your word and see that how we might get along just a little bit better uh, with the people in our lives that are difficult. I pray that we take an honest look and thank you for this case study that we see in the book of Ephesians as the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus for folks to get along. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 is where we're going to be um, to start off with, and then we'll work through a number of passages this morning. There's this, there's, there's this urgency for unity from the Apostle Paul. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, here's what he says. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, note that word, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. You ever felt like you'd had to just bear with somebody? They're barely able to handle them. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Notice that word urge. That's a strong uh, exhortation. It's not a simple suggestion. It's an urgency. Um, Sometimes in life, you've got to figure out what's important and what's urgent. And today, we're dealing with a topic that's important and urgent. It it needs to be dealt with. And for you to to understand this idea of unity, let me tell you what it's not. Unity is not uniformity. Uniformity is the idea that everybody needs to be exactly the same. The worst thing you could do in your marriage is try to make your spouse exactly like you. The worst thing you could do at your job is try to make every employee like you. Worst thing you could do in your family is try to make all your siblings be just like you. Because the whole world doesn't need more of you, we need each other. God's made us different, and those differences complement each other, and we got to learn how to not to compete, but to complement. Uniformity is not, uh, is not the same as unity. Uh, unity is about understanding who God is. God is a craftsman. He's not a cookie cutter. The Bible says that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we are his workmanship. If we are his workmanship, then God is the worker, he's the craftsman, and therefore we need to understand as a skilled craftsman, God has created us, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 all the way through 10, tells us we were created for good works, we were literally chiseled out, made, formed, fashioned, the gifts that you have, the personality that you have, all that was given by God to you for good works. God is a craftsman. He's not a cookie cutter. He, he knows that there's differences, and that's important. Secondly, you need to realize that this call for unity, it's a requirement. It's not an option. In John chapter 13, Jesus said himself, he says, a new commandment I give you that you should love one another by this commandment, this love that you have for one another, what the whole world will know that you are my disciples. If, contingent, phrase, saying, if you love one another. So this this call for unity is not just a suggestion, it's a requirement for being a Christian. How do you get along with people that are difficult? Well, we better figure this out. But let me just take off the pressure and just for a moment, some of you are dealing with folks that are really difficult. You always get into arguments with them and you can't, you seem never seem eye to eye. You can't find common ground and it's frustrating. Well, good news is, is even the apostle Paul had some conflict. If you're going to seek out unity in relationships, even with, uh, with other believers, expect there to be some conflict. 
Did you know in Acts chapter 15, the apostle Paul himself has a major conflict with another uh, church leader, a guy by the name of Barnabas. He's a, he's a guy who's really encouraging, and he's just gifted, probably has a gift of shepherding and encouragement. And, and the apostle Paul has an apostolic gifting. He has a prophetic gifting, and a lot of folks with that, they speak truth, and they just let it lay. Well, the Apostle Paul is, uh, Barnabas comes and says, hey, I know you're going on a mission trip. Let's take John Mark, this young guy. And Apostle Paul says, no, I'm not taking that punk teenager kid. I'm not taking him on a mission trip because last time I worked with him, he didn't show up. He deserted me. He left me. I'm not going to work with him. And Barnabas says, you got to give me a break, Paul. Come on. Let's give this young guy a shot. And he says, no way. And the Bible says is that the two of them separated and it was a conflict. There's going to be conflicts in the Christian life with other believers. There's going to be conflict in your relationships with, uh, with, your, with your spouse, with your family, with your employees, with people around you. Even if they're Christians, there's going to be conflict. Expect there to be some conflict. But don't ever underestimate the work of the Holy Spirit and how God can use change in people's lives. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, the Apostle Paul, now he's not simply under house arrest in Rome. He's in solitary confinement later in his years in life. And he writes uh, to Timothy and he says this. He says, I want you to bring to me John Mark. He's helpful to me in my ministry. W what had changed? Something had happened in the relationship where... Paul, his heart had changed. Maybe John Mark grew up and kind of matured as a, a young teenager and a young man and, and grew in some areas of responsibility. The reality, the Apostle Paul is calling for this urgency in unity. Notice again in verse 3, um, there in your Bibles, it says is that, that we got to be eager to maintain unity. Unity is not something that you have to create, that you have to produce. It's something that we need to preserve. Every believer has unity with other believers through the bond of peace. Who is that peace? Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. So there's a level of, for every place you go, every, every country, every nation, every state that you ever travel into, when you meet other believers, there is a bond of peace. And the question is, is can you preserve it? Can you maintain it? You don't have to create it and you don't have to produce it. But what makes uh, unity so hard? Why is it so hard to get along? A couple reasons real quick, and we'll jump into the rest of the text. Number one, it's you and me. You and me are the problem. The quicker you and I can get on with it and realize that we can't change other people, but we can change ourselves, we're going to be better. We're going to have better teams, uh, better, better families, uh, be better employees, better ministries, uh, uh, better relationships. You and I are the greatest challenge to unity that we actually face. And if everybody took on that mindset, then we're getting somewhere. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 talks about uh, kind of the mother sin is pride. Everybody wants to play the blame game and blame somebody else. But the reality is, is from the very beginning, sin when sin entered the world, it was an issue of of pride, thinking that our ways are better than God's ways. Secondly, is what makes unity so hard and to how hard to get along is, is with, that when you and I buy the lie. These are unity killers. Uh, when we buy the lie uh, um, uh, against somebody else, uh, Satan is called as the deceiver, uh, the father of all lies. And oftentimes what he does with Christian believers and families and friends is he'll whisper a lie into that person's ear and say, you need to think this about that person over there. This person's trying to wrong you. This person's trying to do that. 
And what can happen is, 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 is the moment that that believer listens to that lie, buys that lie about that other person, they're siding with Satan against them. Because Satan's total goal is disunity, dysfunction, depression, discouragement, just a, an alienation, just to disrupt and destroy all good and godly things. So you and I have to realize that in Ephesians 4.25, the Apostle Paul is exhorting the church in Ephesus to be careful, not to be given to falsehood, to fake news. Be careful what you hear. Don't assume, don't believe everything you hear uh, before, before you, you, you move forward. The last thing is this, is it fail to, to, to love with gospel love. If you and I can figure out how to love people with gospel love, Ephesians chapter 5 talks about this gospel love in the context of marriage and gives that illustration uh, that marriage is probably one of the brightest uh, 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 metaphors that we can shine and show the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Because in marriage, you have a covenant commitment, so you need to be faithful, just as God is faithful with his people, his church. And there needs to be forgiveness. There's got to be a constant source of forgiveness. So in the marriage relationship, when we do gospel love, it's I love you forever. I forgive you. Let's work this thing out. In all relationships, we need to learn this gospel love, even when it's difficult. The church in Ephesus is given this picture, this metaphor of gospel love through the marriage relationship in Ephesians chapter 5, and then later will be told by the apostle John in Revelation that their challenge, their problem was, their sad ending of that, that church in, in Ephesus was that they failed, they lost their first love. So how do we get along? Now that I've told you this urgency for unity, talked about the, how it's hard to get along, how do we get along when it's not easy? Number one, you and I need to be the person that God's called us to be. You and I need to be the person that God has called us to be. Uh, the Apostle Paul mentioned three different things that we need to become. He didn't tell us what to do. He said, this is what you, the person you need to be. You need to, number one, you need to be humble. He mentioned that. He said, he says, you, you walk worthy in a manner of calling that's worthy of that calling. You've been called with all humility. You and me, have got to be incredibly humble people. Uh, that means that we, we seek to, uh, not our own interest, but the interest of others. When you're walking into a chaos, you can bring calmness when you be the person God has called you to be. The next step is just simply doing what the right thing to do is. And being humble requires you to go, hey, I sin, I, I blow it, I'm not perfect. I, I need to take responsibility here. The Apostle Paul says, with all humility, we need to live a life worthy of the calling. God has called us. He's saved us. He's changed us. It's that effectual calling that he's called us to live. And he gives us this empowerment to live this out. Moses was said to be one of the most humble men who ever walked the face of the earth. The Bible tells us as well that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Secondly is be gentle. Uh, when you're gentle, um, that means you're not harsh, rude, or, or rash. You, you're gentle with folks. And that phrase, gentle, has also been known as meekness. And gentlemen, let me speak to you just for a minute when you hear this word gentle, because there's, it feels very feminine, not masculine, to be gentle. The word gentle is also meekness, and you need to understand meekness doesn't mean weakness. 
Jesus said to his disciples, he says, uh, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. What does that mean? That means that folks that are meek can roll with the punches. They're not overwhelmed. They're not overtaken. They have fortitude. They have an inner strength. And God tends to give more responsibility, power, and influence to folks that are meek. Why? Because they'll do it for his glory and not their own. Uh, gentleness is something that you need. The Apostle Paul talks about this later in 2 Timothy, that when you're going to correct another Christian or another brother or another friend or another uh, 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 a family member, you're correcting with gentleness. It's a gentleness. Or when you're witnessing, the Apostle Paul or, or the Apostle Peter um, says that we're to, when we witness to other, we do it with a sense of gentleness and when we're being a witness to another person. And then the last thing that we need to become is we need to become patient. Galatians 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Patience is something that God wants to produce in you and use through you. And when the pressures of life come and push you down and wear you out, you become hungry and tired and angry. You can be hangry. And then what happens is, is you, you get frustrated. Well, when you're filled up with the Spirit of God, what ought to come out is patience, the fruit of the Spirit. And, and this patience is something that we're going to need to work with. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, he, the, uh, the Apostle Paul says as well is that love is patient. Be the person that God's called you to be. That's your responsibility. How do you, how do you get along with people that are difficult? You be the person that God has called you to be. These three things the Apostle Paul has said. In, in your Bibles, you may note that it says that you're bearing with one another in love. Sometimes in patience, you're just, you're, you're, you're just gritting your teeth and you're like, I'm just able to bear this person. And that's, that's life. There's people that are really hard to get along with, but you, we, we've got to seek patience. Number two, I want to challenge you, always find the common ground. The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 4. He knows that there's a, uh, this new church in Ephesus is filled with Gentiles and with Jews. In other words, the Gentiles were folks that were, their religious background was very far from anything that looked like Christianity. Uh, they would have been the, the spiritual uh, gurus of Sedona, uh, seeking the vortex, seeking the... the uh, um, uh, the palm readings, all this different stuff. They were into witchcraft and sorcery and all this. Those were the Gentiles that came to faith in Jesus Christ, and now they're in Ephesus. Then there are the Jews. The Jews would have been the hardcore Jewish folks that attended the synagogue and the temple and obeyed all the rules, the big rule keepers, and they're all together. And the apostle Paul says, you need to find some common ground. Verse 4, he says, There is one body, that means one church, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope uh, that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and the Father who is over all and through all in all. The reality is that we're called to get along. One of the challenges I've found over the years is uh, being somebody who reaches out to a wide variety of people in my life is... Um, people ask me, how do you, how do, you uh, uh, do uh, relational evangelism? How do you reach out to people? And my first response is, is that always try to find common ground. No matter who they are, where they're from, what they're doing, always try to find common ground. As believers, we have far more in common than we do in disagreement. 
And what we tend to fight over is the stuff, what I would call the open-handed issues versus the closed-handed issues. Uh, The open-handed issues that we fight over oftentimes as believers is maybe in the church is a music style, a dress style, a methodology. It's not theology. We fight over the little things. In our friendships and circles, sometimes we we focus on the molehill when we're dismissing the mountains. We've got to find the common ground. Kenny Chesney, country music singer, has a song out. Some of you guys have heard it. He says, uh, get along while we can, always give love the upper hand, paint a wall, learn to dance, call your mom, buy a boat, drink a beer, sing a song, make a friend, can't we all get along? The answer is, sorry, Kenny, we can't. We can't all get along. You know what the Apostle Paul says? The Apostle Paul says, uh, it's not always possible to get along. He says, but in Romans 12, 18, I'll paraphrase it for you. He says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, uh, be at peace with all people. As far as it uh, depends on your ability, try to make peace with everybody. But it's not always possible. There's going to be people in your life that they're not going to get along. They don't want to find common ground, even if you try to find common ground. And it's going to be a challenge. You know, those are the kind of the challenging things that we can face. In Ephesians 4, 7 through 11, I want to transition with you. The Apostle Paul wants to highlight that, that there is a, 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 an essence for urgency, for unity. And one of the ways that we can unite is by understanding gifts and how God gifts the church and makes people different. And uh, all of you are gifted. And those gifts come from God. But sometimes what happens in our spiritual gifts is that we think that everything ought to be one way or another. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, 7 through 11, I think wants to highlight to us that everybody's got their own gift and we still need to keep unity. Uh, We need our common ground is not necessarily that we share the same gift, but that we all have gifts and God has made us different. We have one faith, uh, one baptism, one Lord. So look what it says in verse 7. He says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So as a believer, God has given you grace. That grace is uh, the saving uh, power. He's saved you and he's given you uh, a calling. That he's saved you for a calling. And that is to live for Jesus Christ in the workplace, in your family, in your friendships. He's, He's called you. He's given you that grace. And each one of us, the Apostle Paul, notice how he includes himself, he says, uh, was given, each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ is the giver of gifts. And then he goes on, and then he's going to highlight how Jesus Christ distributes these gifts and what all he's done. He's gone to the greatest lengths to make sure that you have these gifts, and these gifts ought to unite us, not divide us. In verse 8, it says, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? Let me help unpack that just for a minute. The Apostle Paul here is paraphrasing from Psalm 68. 
Uh, it's a description of the Messiah who, uh, who is leading victoriously and that he will, uh, uh, he will redeem uh, folks that have been held hostage by the power of sin and the penalty of sin. And in saying that he, he has led a host of captives, he's referring to Jesus Christ, that you and me, before Jesus Christ, we were captive. And when we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we're pulled out of that captivity and we're freed. And then he goes on to say is that he gave gifts to men. Jesus Christ is a victor. He can hand out gifts to anybody he wants. Imagine a military general uh, uh, in a conquering army goes to war, and then in that war, there's a lot of hostages. He takes those hostages, and then the general distributes gifts as he sees fit. The Apostle Paul is pulling on that imagery, and then he's showing at the great lengths that Jesus Christ has gone to give you gifts. You were once a hostage. You were once a captive. You were once a prisoner. You've been freed, and then God distributes gifts as he chooses. And spiritual gifts that God gives are oftentimes uneven, unmerited. You, you don't know why God gave you the gift that he gave you. Maybe some of you have an, an, a special ability that people say, man, you're really good at that. Well, and then the next person in your family, they didn't get those gifts, but you did. Oh, why is that? God gives them as he wants to, and it can create confusion. And then he's going to go on to, sh- to share with us, just remind us that Jesus came to earth. In verse 9, it says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? This is a reference to the incarnation, when Jesus came to earth. Um, the ESV does a really good job in translating this into the lower regions, the earth, um, because in some of the translations, it might say lower than the earth. And that implies the idea that Jesus actually went into hell. Um, I don't think that's a good concept because um, if you think back to Jesus' death on the cross, uh, at the cross, uh, the the thief on his uh, right and his left, one of the thieves uh, believe in Jesus Christ, and Jesus looks at the guy the day Jesus is going to die and says, today, my friend, I will see you where? In paradise. And so that day from Jesus' death, he is in paradise with God. This idea, he goes on to show and, and showcase this great length that Jesus Christ has done. He's come to earth. He came to earth uh, to show us the way. In verse 10, he says, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And then he goes in and shares about another gift to the church. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds, and the teachers. So this isn't a gift for everybody per se, but this is, this is a special gift to the church. And in, in these gifts that the church receives and in the spiritual gifts that you receive, it can become a challenging. Um, the apostles, um, some people have asked, are there apostles today? I, I do not think so. I don't think the Bible teaches that idea. I think that the idea of apostle is something, uh, was a special, unique uh, calling for uh, individuals, there was qualifications for the apostles. Uh, one was that they personally saw Jesus after his resurrection. Number two is that they were specifically commissioned by Jesus Christ himself as the apostle. And so then the question comes, well, what about prophets or what about evangelists or shepherds and teachers? Are they in our churches today? And I would say, I think so, I, I do. Um, this idea is what's been called a continuation theory. It's the idea that many of the spiritual gifts, the supernatural gifts, have continued after the apostles. 
However, some of these offices are limited. The apostleship, I think, was replaced by the New Testament. God's final authoritative word. These apostles basically had the right to speak Bible. When they spoke, it was authoritative Bible. So if you speak Bible, wow, let me know about that. Um, these guys spoke Bible. Um, the prophets, um, prophecy, some people may have, you, you, you might have come from a charismatic background where you, you have a, a folks that say they have a gift of prophecy. I would caution you to understand this truth about prophecy. Is the gift of prophecy uh, still available today? I think so. However, I would define prophecy as this. It's a declaring a revelation from God the best of your ability. Uh, prophecy needs to be seen as, in this current context within the local church, as it's human words, not God's words. Um, can it be God's words? It could be. Oftentimes, folks that have a gift of prophecy, they're able to see things or hear things, not necessarily foretell the future, but be able to have a spiritual discernment and be able to clarify uh, big theological or, or truth, personal truths that were not clearly revealed. And the gift of prophecy is a, is a wonderful thing. The Apostle Paul says, excel in this gift. Try, try to grow in that gift. So the way you and I uh, perhaps might think of prophecy is like this. You're sitting there and you're, you're praying and then all of a sudden the Lord reveals something to you and you're like, man, I should do something. I remember years ago I was, uh, 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 I was uh, in college and I, had this, I was in a prayer time and I started praying for my family and right then and there the Lord put on my mind, you need to mail, mail, uh, mail your sister uh, a thing of flowers. And me and my sister don't talk a lot. And I was like, Lord, I don't know if this is from you or my imagination. So I did. I, I, I called up a florist and I, and I had him sent to St. Louis. She was living in St. Louis at the time. And the lady on the phone said, what do you want me to put on it? I said, put this Bible verse on it. And I, I shared with her the Bible verse. And how did I get that verse? I don't know. I felt like the Lord just said, that's a good one, you know. So that was it. I, I go about my day and all of a sudden my sister calls me about uh, three or four hours later. And she said, Ryan, you sent me flowers. I said, yeah. And she said, I am in one of the lowest points of my life. And I asked God today, would you show me a sign that you love me and you care for me? And I opened my Bible and I found the Bible verse and you sent me that Bible verse. That's the Lord. That, that's a gift of prophecy that, that can happen in your life. That's when, when you see, oh my gosh, these things kind of come together in a very cool, unique way. Um, is it always work like that? No, not at all. I remember times in, in some of the churches that I was involved with, somebody would say, I have a word of the Lord for you. You're going to marry this person. And I'm like, that's not a word from the Lord. I'm not marrying that person. By the way, I'm already married. You know, so it's like, you got to be careful. When you hear this idea of prophet, uh, you'll see the gift of prophecy being carried out by other believers besides the apostles for, for many, many years. The same thing with evangelists. Evangelists are gifted people that have a gift for evangelism. There's no qualifications for evangelists, but they're gifted and they help reach people for Jesus Christ. There's no qualifications for an evangelist other than you just know Jesus and then you go talk about Jesus. That's it. And some people um, are gifted shepherds, and these are folks that are, have the gift of shepherding. They care for other believers, and they want to help them take next steps, and they're constantly talking about how do we grow in our faith. And then there's teachers. Teachers are folks that have an incredible amount of ability to teach things, uh, retain information, gather information, synthesize information, and then communicate information in a, in a way that's compelling and clear and helpful. 
Um, uh, you know, how to, uh, for years I, I've wondered, you know, Lord, what are my gifts? I think for me, uh, teaching is one of the bigger gifts. I never wanted to be a teacher. I, I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't want to. Uh, how do I know God's gifted me with teaching? I think one of the reasons why I know is because from the time I was 18, 19 years old, I loved the habit of study. And I would study 15 to 20 hours a day, uh, of a day, that would be crazy, a week. And, uh, and so I'd study uh, all this time every week for whatever message I was going to preach, and it became easy to me. I could read books, I could synthesize, I could do things, I would communicate, and somebody would say, hey, that was really helpful. Sometimes they'd say, that wasn't helpful at all, please stop. But, but you know you have these gifts when you see them working and they're God's intended them to, to develop in you and to build up his church. So what does that mean if we've been given these different gifts? It means, number three, if we're going to get along with people, even though we're different and it's not easy, we need to seek to understand versus being understood. You and I have to realize that we need to understand the other person first before we try to un- make our way understood. I call it gift projection. Whatever your gift is, say you're gifted in, uh, in shepherding and caring or gifted in mercy, then it's easy for you if you have a gift of mercy, um, then you look at everybody else and say, you all should be more merciful. You, or say you have the gift of evangelism, you all should be evangelizing more. You're not evangelizing enough. What's wrong with you? You're so unspiritual. No, you just have the gift of evangelism or you have the gift of mercy. And when we project our gift on other people, we've, just, we've diminished the reality that these other people have gifts too. They're just different. So what do we do? We need to pursue, I would call, gift perception. You and I need to seek to understand others' gifts by perceiving what their, other, their gifts may be. Some of the conflict that you face with other Christians is a lack of your gift perception. You don't understand what their gifts are. The more you can understand their gifts, their personality, the better off you're going to be. Seek to understand before being understood. You know, when my wife and I get into an argument, or you want to call it intense fellowship, um, the, the, this point is really important. Seek to understand before being understood. No, 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 wait, let me clarify. And then, now it just gets out of hand. Okay, please, I want to understand, please tell me. And in my mind, I just run through all the scenarios. I've got research, I've got data, I've got backup, I've got history, I've got everything, examples, and that doesn't help right there in that moment. What I need to do is just slow down and say, all right, explain to me everything. I want to understand in, in relationships, we have to seek to understand before being understood. And the last point is this, is remember the goal of unity is growth. God wants us to grow. He wants you to grow spiritually. He wants the church to grow numerically. He wants to build up. He's, he's a builder. Um, the Apostle Paul was a builder as well. In 1 Corinthians 3.10, he says that God had called him to be an expert builder. God called me to Phoenix to help lay down a foundation for North Valley. And guess what? You and me, all of us are called to build upon that foundation. That foundation is the gospel. It's Jesus Christ for generations and generations to come. So the goal of unity is not just kumbaya. It's not just Christians coming together. It's moving forward in God glorifying ministry activity to make an impact. So what does it say in Ephesians 4.12? Let's read it. 
So God gave all these gifts, Ephesians 4.11, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. For why? To equip the saints. Who are the saints? You, the church. Folks that say, I'm a part of this church, the church in Ephesus, the church at North Valley, the church in Philippi, the church in Thessalonica, the church, anywhere there's a church, God's given these gifts to the church and then to Christians so that they might be equipped the saints might be equipped for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So that's building up the church until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're called to grow. It's interesting to me, um, a lot of churches don't grow. Most churches in the United States are less than 100 adults. Why is that? Number one, I would believe the number one reason is because they don't understand the Ephesians 4.12 principle that they're called to do the work of the ministry. The churches don't. Also, there's disunity. But we've got to grow in our faith. In verse 14, see what it says. So that we may no longer be children. It's the Apostle Paul's pushing on this idea. You can be a grown man. He's speaking to adults. Oh, we're not children anymore. We're, we need to live like adults, act like adults. We need to do the work of the ministry. We're, we're in a partnership together. Tossed to and fro by the waves that are carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The devil's after the church. You got to stand strong. You got to know what you believe. You partner with other believers. You don't buy the lie. You believe it the best in people. Verse 15, he says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined are, and held together by every joint which, with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The greatest thing you and I can do is that we can seek to be equipped and grow in ourselves so that we can make a difference. How do you do that? I'd say three main reasons you do, ways you do that is when, but just by attending church on a Sunday morning and saying, I want to hear the teaching and preaching so that I can apply it to my life. Every time I stand on this stage, I'm doing three things. Number one, I'm seeking to educate believers. I want you to be educated. I want you to know the Bible. I want you to know how to live uh, uh, in a way that's going to be glorifying to God. Secondly, I'm coming to encourage you. If you feel encouraged at North Valley, I, good. That's what I'm trying to do. I want to encourage you to live out the life that God's called you to live. I don't need you to be a, a pastor or, or a missionary overseas. I need you to be you. I need you to do the things God's called you to do the way God's called you to do it in partnership with North Valley. Uh, third, I'm evangelizing. Every time I'm teaching, I'm trying to evangelize. I want Jesus to be known. I want people to make decisions for Jesus Christ. How do you be equipped? You apply yourself to the teaching. Secondly, you're part of a neighborhood group. Your neighborhood groups are safe places to grow. If you're not in a neighborhood group, you're not being thoroughly equipped. Uh, you're, you're not going to grow at the level you ought to grow. God created us to grow together, not in isolation. Some of you say, well, I tried a neighborhood group and I didn't like it. Well, try another one. Um, we try to give off-ramps every 10 to 12 weeks. So if you don't like that community and don't connect, you can go to another one and nobody's going to make fun of you or speak bad of you. So neighborhood groups is a way you can equip your life and grow. And then the last one is just growth track. We do this by helping people take next steps, provide that. Uh, Joshua's mentioned that earlier. 
So there's a set of questions in your program I want to encourage you to walk through. Uh, but you need to be equipped. This is a partnership ministry at North Valley that you and I are in together. And so let me do this. I want to close out our, our time with just sharing a story of a couple in our church that when they went through a difficult time, like many of us have gone through a difficult season, they found common ground with one another through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, watch this video. Well, I'm here with Ryan and Hunter, who just got baptized. How exciting was that? It was super awesome. Uh, why don't you share a little bit about what God's been doing in your life that's brought you to this point and what he's been doing for you guys? Uh, well, um, Hunter actually uh, wanted to raise our son in Christ, and I, for a long time, was a believer. I accepted, but I never really... Um, how do you say it? I drank the milk, but I wasn't ready for the meat of the word. Um, and as we've gone through life, uh, we hit a rough spot, rough spot in our marriage, and we both called upon God in our own uh, separate ways. Um, instead of listening to others, we listened to God and what what uh, what He wanted for us, and we prayed uh, a lot, a lot, a lot. <laughs> a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and it's. Um, God's work miracles in our life, so um, it's been amazing. So, and we've we read the Bible every night. Uh, son. That's always the yeah. the stories. But then, uh, her and I, we, we read the word on Sunday or Monday night after our service. We take the scriptures and use it. And, yeah, we read on our own. So it's it's been great. Uh, we've been blessed to uh, to accept Christ in our in our marriage and our life and as a for our son. So, want to get baptized together and just for your son's future. So awesome. That was, uh, we, we had talked about it for a long time, and uh, uh, we knew that was the next step for us. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Well, I just want to thank you. Uh, you guys, thank you, North Valley. You know, it's through stories like these. I know I get pumped. Hopefully, you guys get pumped. And uh, let's just keep working to see more people come to know Jesus in a powerful and real way. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.